0: Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the US, and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now, here's your host,
1: Dr. Nick. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and this episode of Healthcare Upside Down is focused on a little of the history of mammography and screening for breast cancer. The origins of mammography, which is the specialized X-ray imaging of breast tissue using a low dose of radiation with the intent of seeing inside the breast to identify abnormal tissue and, in particular, breast cancer, is interesting. The original concept for this screening technique came from a German surgeon, Albert Solomon, who imaged 3,000 mastectomies in 1913. But the real clinical use for the technique did not really take place until after a 1966 study was published by the American radiologist and mammography pioneer, Dr. Philip Strax. This milestone study involving almost 62,000 women in New York established that early detection significantly reduced the breast cancer mortality rate. His early advocacy of the mammogram helped revolutionize breast cancer detection. He was spurred into a single-minded battle against breast cancer in 1947, when his first wife sadly died of the disease. But developing the screening and delivering this to the widest number of people possible took even longer. And it was not until the legislation was changed and screening became a covered offering for the general public, that uptake of mammography started to increase. Currently, around 70% of women over the age of 40 are getting screening mammograms, but big racial and economic divides exist in the program, further negatively impacting outcomes for a group already suffering a large burden of this disease. We know an effective screening program saves lives by identifying diseases earlier, when it is more successfully treated, and with breast cancer, the second leading cause of cancer death in women, this represents a huge opportunity. Since 2007, breast cancer death rates have been steady in women younger than 50, but have been continuing to decrease in older women. Thought to be because of finding breast cancer earlier through screening, increased awareness, as well as better treatments, but there is much more that we can do. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Don Levante. He's the professor at Marymount University and a principal at the Federal Group. And Jessica Turgan, principal at ECG in the Performance Transformation Practice and the Oncology Practice Lead. Hi, Don. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. So we're in our Breast Cancer Month Awareness. And we're talking breast cancer. One of the critical elements to breast cancer awareness and obviously some of the progress that I think we've made in the treatment of what used to be a very tragic disease and the improvements in outcomes has been screening. And specifically in the case of uh, breast cancer, it's a very specialized screening mammography. But we haven't always had that, Don, have we?
2: No, we haven't. As a matter of fact, for years, I think uh, the evidence shows that... uh, they were doing breast cancer screening even with uh, veterinarian type radiographs. Uh, radio but what happened was uh, the American College of Radiology, whom I did some work for, came up with an accreditation program because they took the lead on, with the American Cancer Society, to be very honest about it, the two of them together took the lead on, we need to do something more for breast screening. And so the colleagues said, why don't we do something to accredit facilities to ensure that we don't have these veterinary machines or anything else taking breast screening. We need people who are qualified to take the exam, interpret it, and the equipment must be dedicated. So they commissioned me as their representative to go to Congress and say, could we indeed have a screening program in Medicare? And understand Medicare always was to be restorative. It was never screening. It wasn't until the late 80s that you started getting screening programs. You always paid after the fact for a disease. So in this case, to get screening really was something totally different for the Medicare program to start to pay up front before a a, a, a condition had occurred. So they commissioned me to go to the Congress. We had worked with uh, Senator Brock Adams and his staff, the Women's Breast Cancer Coalition, uh, particularly the Comans Foundation. And we went to Senator Mikulski, who was really an advocate for women's health, and said, look, we need to get a qualified process in place so that women's healthcare becomes really important, particularly breast screening because breast cancer is the number one killer of women. And so with agreement by Ms. McCulsey, she said, yeah, but we don't have screening. I said, okay, we'll, and, and we don't know what we'll pay for. We don't know what screening programs cost. We haven't done any kind of look I said, whatever you decide is fine. My client wants just to ensure that the accreditation program is one approved by the American College of Radiology, or at least their standards are adopted, which gave co- the college a little bit of trepidation because they were afraid that the price might be a little bit too low. But I said, if you wanna get going on this process, we gotta make some sort of a, a ma- meaning com- meaningful compromise in the political process. So long story short, Ms. McCaussey said, Don, I got an agreement under the budget, that we can go $75 and, and we will say that anybody who does screening mammography must do so with no less accrediting process than that by the american College of radiology boom that started the process and off we went for screening mammography which ultimately led to you know restorative mammography as well
1: so it it sounds very much like screening was not something that existed we've made progress and we've established a, uh, a, a path forward to develop that. Is, has that experience expanded, and have we improved on that, Jess?
3: Two points on this, and I really love Don's story because it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have access to mammography, something that I know someone of my generation takes for granted that it will be there and it will be covered by our insurance and go from there. And so, you know, what you saw, what you see is, is the screening programs expanded. People were able to catch particularly cancer earlier in the diagnosis and be able to be treated and then live obviously with the diagnosis, but live with more of a chronic disease or in some cases cure the disease and then be able to go on with their life. And so the impact on women, the, you know, women, living through a cancer diagnosis have been significant. What we currently see is we're fighting through the last two years with the pandemic, which folks didn't go in to get their mammography as routinely as they had. And so there's some pent-up demand, there's some um, uh, uh, pent-up need for Uh, mammography across the board that we're working through that many, many, many organizations across the country are working, working through, but I, I still find it still challenging to be able now to get the next iteration. Is it a 3d mammography, tomotherapy, et cetera, et cetera. What is the next level of preferred breast health? Because as Don story said, it took female leadership within the legislature to champion that type of coverage, champion that type of, of, of um, change in policy uh, so that we can get the right types of services provided to women across. Now, a lot of this depends on where you live, where you, what you have access to, what type of resources, et cetera, et cetera, all the regular socioeconomic challenges that go along with current healthcare care um, in our environment. But the change of getting this covered was significant for um, cancer cancer care in the U.S.
2: I had a could I do a follow up real quick? I mean, there was two issues. It just wasn't the, the, the covering of women's health. It was screening. I mean, Medicare did not screen services, and and to get a double whammy there, where you would have expression get 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 coverage for women's health, which had totally been ignored until the 80s, until women got into the Congress and began to say, hey, how are you? What about women's health? And then to move that further to change the concept under Medicare from restoration to screening was really dynamic
3: and set it going. And I was very proud that that had happened. And now what's happened is now you get an extra, if you meet certain certifications for a breast health center and a nationally accredited breast program, it's either it's even a higher level of standard sort of the gold star of imaging that has a full suite of services for breast health, that many um, mammography units, breast health centers are are aiming for because it's considered the gold standard of care.
1: So the primary driver in this sounds like uh, that the inclusion of women as part of that decision making process. That you know prior w- w- were ignored or not included as part of that. It was seen as um, uh, uh, services that you know were available but not delivered as screening. Now that we're doing that, how do we move things forward? It sounds like you found success in driving this forward in the past, Don. How do we continue that? Because I can tell you categorically. What we do now whilst it's great and you know we should look back with pride is insufficient based on what we know now and what's available to deliver better health and better outcomes
2: I, I, that, I mean, that just so wound up in the whole process of the american healthcare system and that is that we're trying to face and pay for the cost of services out of a third-party process And and, and in that regard, when you're at trillions and trillions of dollars, when you started, the, the dynamic of the American healthcare system was $45 billion in 1965. Now it's in the trillions and you're trying to expand services. And then you have a budget restoration process in the Congress where the tax dollars are not sufficient. The Medicare program, an aging population is not there to contribute to the Medicare FICA trust fund. All these things show that when members of Congress, don't, I would never want to be a member of Congress right now. I have to sit down and decide, what is it, breast cancer? Do I go to children's brain surgery? What, where do the dollars go? And this is a very difficult thing. And the United States will never solve that problem, in my opinion, as long as it has this two-party system. It has to find a way to make both of them work together. That's what the Affordable Health Care Act was trying to do. And that's what all other legislation in that regard tried to do. And I'm not sure we'll ever get there. That's, I don't want to make a plug, but that's what my book talks about, the political actions, the political aspects of healthcare. I mean, we, we got a, a third party payment system and a government system. And you came out of, out of a government system and you know what that is like. And then we have a third party system that's insurance-driven, that's costly and costly and costly. And how do we make those two meet? That's my opinion.
3: Yeah, and, and, and then as a consumer, you're trying to make the best choice. And you're listening to your healthcare provider that's pr- trying to navigate you through a complex system, um, but maybe that healthcare provider doesn't have all the information when they're trying to help you decide what's best for you. And so, you know, as a as a woman who's had to navigate, you know, care from a from a from a personal level, it's challenging. And then you go to you know, you do your research. You try and access healthcare sites, but sometimes there's a delay. There's a challenge. The read is bad. We've got to go back, and it is always a pressure. It, it's always a significant amount of pressure for that day that you have your mammography to the day you get the report saying it's it's clear. There's a significant amount of stress, and so you know, as as one trying to navigate that process. Um, you know, folks are relying on the different aspects of the healthcare system, but to Don's point, it's a significantly fragmented system that often is not engineered towards the best for the patient, what's best for the patient.
2: Well, but That's where folks like you guys come in, where you help people find that integration. I mean, just, and don't, no, no, never to be de about anybody in society you know some people aren't as up to date on healthcare as we are okay you know and, and, and even a factory worker or, or someone who's working at mcdonald's they just want to get taken care of and they don't understand this navigation and and it's it's really difficult for the american citizen i believe it but,
1: but, but yeah i think I, smoothing out that process is ultimately the goal in this but Uh, driving that through so that it doesn't become cost prohibitive and importantly, increase the divide that we see in those that do access and don't access. We're struggling with that and we're struggling with the system that, you know, as you rightly point out, Don, it it feels like there are too many fingers in, in the pie that are preventing us from getting to a better screening program, because we ultimately know economically that is the best outcome. No question, right? It's it's medically true. It's uh, economically true, but we're struggling to do that. And we're not delivering that service evenly distributed to everybody. So how do we go about that?
2: Well, that that answer can't, uh, the farther up what you just said, radiology is a target. Because radiology's toys cost so much, you know, when you, when you look at the technical side of an MR or a technical side of a CT or the technical side of mammography. Every time they have a budget recon- reconciliation bill on the hill and they need money to support other programs, it comes out of radiology. And I'm not, I don't, I don't work for the college anymore, so, so it's, it's not a parochial statement. And the fact of the matter is mammography subset has to pay for that I mean because they don't get as much reimbursement even though in physician payment reform we sat down and tried to get more money to mammography we started so low which was unfortunate I take responsibility for that we started too low as you try to move up the, the the professional side of mammograms and things of that nature and
3: Don's right so you really, in radiology, if you think about it, all the big procedures, the MRs, the CTs, the PET CTs, the newest technology that comes out, and mammography is part of that, but it's not significantly new technology, and it's the lowest price, lowest reimbursed service. And so there to Don's point, there was some connection to some of the movement around, you know, some of the different types of initiatives coming out of CMMI, where there's um, a, a charge towards value. How do we think about screening as part of a value proposition of doing preventative care, wellness care? Is that will that have an have an impact on lowering the overall cost of care because people are again getting treated earlier, not waiting until their um, significant significant challenges with care and causing in causing uh, uh accessing more of high price services so but the the challenge is mammography is the lowest one of the lowest paid services for radiology and so even with the support to expand screening so forth and so on you still face this battle of you know are people being trained to go into that service can they pay for their loans that they're taking out for med school how do they how does it work within a huge group from a reimbursement standpoint and what are the dollars that will support the overall investment into a breast health center. And so you find that these initiatives, particularly around women's health, have to be part of a larger consideration, either strategic or other, to draw in, um, you know, women as part of the decision, decision maker for healthcare for their family to say, how am I going to be how am I gonna access care for my family? What are What's everything that, that I'm gonna benefit with and, and how do I move? How am I being courted from a consumerism standpoint around my hair, my healthcare, as well as my family's?
2: Yeah. That's very unfortunate. and I, I, I don't know how we change it. I know the, the physician payment reform system, when, when they all those folks get together to decide when the docs get in the room to fight out how much money they're gonna to give to the professional side. You know, mammography really, I think it's it's come up in years, but it hasn't come up to the level that other procedures should be. And I don't know how we get there unless the women start another trend. And, you know, these are weird things that I say sometimes, but something like Roe versus Wade is going to turn women on again. I mean, because they've been patently quiet recently in the political process. They haven't done what they used to do when they were really mad about things I want they're going to get mad again, and if they start getting mad again and start looking at the procedures that they're supposed to be reimbursed for mammography might get a different view.
1: So let's uh, posit that uh, you know I, I, I credit where credit's due you establish this as a service and you did so perhaps at the a cost that was too low, but it got things going. It might not have happened as a result of that. So, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, looking back, we could have said it could have been higher, but we're starting to move that. We need to move that up. Is there a place for technology that can allow for this that would help decrease that overall cost? I know that, you know, the gadgets and everything add to the radiology position, but, um, is the technology that can help bring it down economically and make this a more accessible service whilst not diminishing the service delivered by those expert radiologists
3: What do you think jesse well i think um, I think the it 's a great thought to have, but until we change how a mammograph how a mammograph- mammogram is delivered. <laughs> We are beholden to the technology, mm-hmm. and so one, you know, one can speed up the access points. One can um, um, think through various ways to engage with patients, to um, facilitate reminders. You know, make sure that the right type of connections are made between a woman's care provider and the radiologist, so that it's an efficient process, et cetera, et cetera. But until we change how um how the care is delivered, particularly you know, with the unit, with the type of service, you know, you're you're sort of beholden to going somewhere either mobile or or not, or fixed, you know, usually taking off work, usually, you know, going in the middle of the day, usually having child care issues, et cetera, et cetera. What I'd like to see would be more of the current trend in in Rethinking the world about offering services. What time does one have to? You know, how do you have a much more ease of access through being able to schedule a mammography when you want to do it after hours, when you have childcare, you know, not during a lunch break, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think the next step, the next small step, until as Don said, there's more of a focus on women's health from a legislative perspective, would be well. What's the right way to think about the care model? And do we need to make it even more efficient? Because people, that's when people will seek a, will pay for services in a different way if they can access care on demand when they want it, when they seek it, rather than the, still the, the ancient process that we have now of calling up, getting an appointment, going in when it's not convenient and going from there.
1: So to to close this out, Don, as you think about the success and where we are now, what are the next steps?
2: I I would hope that the technology could get to the point that you would have, like you have a ultrasound that you can move around where you could have equipment that, you know, maybe even going into a facility. Gosh, I mean, that would be amazing if you could go into a facility like you do blood testing, like you do. I mean, I don't want to promote CVS or, or Walgreens, but I go get up my flu shots there. I get my oh, can can we take it to that level? And the unfortunate problem is there's not a lot of money in mammography and in the if I'm the president of a of a medical manufacturer, I'm not gonna put my money there because there's more in CT and MR and, and, and nuclear medicine. So you know we, we just got a ways to go yet.
1: Jess, Don, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Thank you. The good news is we've made progress, but the bad news is there is so much more we can and should be doing to extend access and importantly, break down racial and economic barriers to screening for this major killer in women. Providing widespread access to mobile facilities that extend beyond the existing basic mammography technology to the widest range of people is essential. We have solutions, they are just not widely or equally distributed, and this is a solvable problem. Your best pill to swallow is to work towards providing widespread access to everyone in your community to this life-saving technology and screening. Rethink the provision of mammography services, extending access and fulfilling the hope expressed by Don that creates an ease of access similar to our provision of other basic testing services and seek new ways to extend access, making the service economic for all parties involved in the delivery. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will.
0: That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform, by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.